When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's our Wednesday roundtable. So it's me, it's Doug Lake Maurice, Mary Kay Cabot, and Ellis Williams. We each do one thing we're a little nervous about that we thought might happen this season and one thing we're still confident will happen this season. Uh, This is where I tell you about Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page to get all the information and get signed up for that daily newsletter delivered to your inbox access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. And of course, you can become one of our text subscribers. Okay, here we go. This is our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Wednesday roundtable on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay Cabot, Douglas, Maurice Ellis Williams, and I are going to give you one thing we're not so confident in after two weeks and something we are still very confident in after two weeks. Mary Kay, you are up first. Lead us off. Well, the thing that I'm not so confident in anymore after two weeks is actually Miles Garrett uh, making a really strong challenge and push for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he's already fallen behind. I have to look up the um, the sack totals for right now, but uh, he only has one sack through two games. And as we know, sacks are a huge part of winning NFL defensive player. Uh, now I, you know, sometimes they come in bunches and I still think he's going to get untracked and he's going to be unleashed and he's probably going to still have double digit, digit sacks and be amazing. Uh, but I do think that his, uh, his bid for the award it has taken a little hit. I mean, after two weeks, you've got to be on pace. Uh, and, and I know that Chandler Jones had five in the, uh, in the first week. Um, does, can anybody pull up the sack stats real quick? I probably can, but while I'm talking, if, if anybody could do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull them up while you're talking here. Okay. So, um, so when we look back to Miles Garrett last season, he got off to an amazing start. I mean, he was unstoppable right from the beginning. And he had a, a number of strip sacks right away. It was just a really, really strong out of the gate performance by him. And I think that kind of set the tone for the rest of the season where everybody thought, wow, he's the guy. He finally is making the game changing impact plays. He's the reason why they're winning football games. And of course that all, um, that all changed after he got COVID and, uh, as his mom revealed to me in the offseason, uh, Miles Garrett suffers from asthma. And when he came back from COVID, he was still really struggling with the asthma. So uh, we fast forward to this year. Two games, one sack uh, achieved in the first game, none against the, the Texans, which kind of surprising considering that they had a rookie quarterback the whole entire second half. Uh, so I, yeah, I think it's taken a little bit of a hit. Who, who has the most sacks now? Is it still Chandler? It's Chandler Jones with five. It's okay. uh, Daniil Hunter with four, Vaughn Miller, Hassan Reddick, and TJ Watt, Jonathan, a bunch of guys with three. I'm okay. actually glad you brought this one up, Mary Kay. It was on my list too, but now I get to push back. Now I get to make the case for why he still might win defensive player of the year. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious if anybody else had maybe written this down as like something that, that they um, maybe were hedging on a little no <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah I, I'll, I'll expand a little more there than doug um i think he still has a chance to you know be in the defensive player of the year race like mary Kay said these things can come in bunches exactly why chandler jones is a top with five sacks doing that all in one game but until the defense as a whole find its finds its identity until i mean after the game miles garrett was talking about chemistry and familiarity with along your pass rush and the cohesiveness that comes with being an effective unit you can just tell they're they're just not familiar with each other and that's going to take time and this is as much a miles garrett concern as it is a 
entire defensive identity issue. And I've been vocal about the need for this Browns defense to play more man coverage. That would help the quarterback hold on to the football more, having less clear reads. And that's a great way for uh, defensive ends like Miles Garrett and Dave Anconi to get to the quarterback, of course. So this is a Miles Garrett issue, but also the Browns defense as a whole is off to a slow start. And that, for, for me, at least explains why Miles Garrett's sack total is only at one. So, so here's why I think maybe he could still win defensive player of the year. This is sort of like, like Miles Garrett has sort of been the Russell Wilson on the defensive side of the ball the last couple of years, right? Starts off great. Everybody says, oh, he's going to win defensive player of the year award. Just like Russell's the MVP, right? The first two months of every season. And, and then that talk usually kind of settles down. Not that Russell Wilson doesn't play well for a full season, but somebody usually takes the reins from him, right? So let's say Miles just goes on a tear over the last months of the season and he's got some marquee games still left. So he's got a Thursday nighter against the Broncos. Uh, he's got those back-to-back games against the Ravens. One of those is a Sunday night game. He's got the Christmas game against the Packers. He's got that Steelers game on January 3rd. If Ben Roethlisberger is still standing, I think Miles Garrett will make sure that he's not standing for very long in that game. Now that's a, is that a Monday night game, I think, on January 3rd? Whatever it is, it's a primetime game. There's still some marquee opportunities for Miles, and if he does kind of get hot and go on a tear, maybe reverse what we've seen from him the last few years where instead of starting strong and then something comes up to derail his season, he finishes strong, that might actually be the way he still wins this thing. You know what? It's a great point, Dan. It could happen. It could happen that way. Maybe, uh, Maybe they're just getting off to a little bit of that slower start because this defense, as Ellis mentioned, they're not playing as a cohesive unit yet. Part of the reason for that is because they never practiced together in training camp. They just never did. And they never played together in a preseason game. And I think we're seeing right now that this is their preseason a little bit. They're trying to figure out, hey, who do we like in on our third down package? Who's in our uh, dime package? Uh, who, who is rising to the, the occasion uh, in, in certain situations? And how to fit all the pieces together. I think the defensive line will start playing a lot better together very soon. So you're right. This could be the reverse of what we've seen of what we've seen so far, where he can finish really strong and, you know, maybe overcome a little bit of a slow start. Uh, But he is going to have some catching up to do, especially when a guy like Chandler Jones starts out with uh, five in the first week. And unfortunately it is uh, sacks are just so big in the NFL defensive player of the year. They're not, everything. Uh, but those takeaways, those strip sacks, uh, you know, those game changing plays, and he made one in the first week. I mean, that could have been the reason why, or a big reason why they won the game, uh, the stack that he made there, but he needs to consistently make a bunch of those. If he wants to catch up in this race. I do think we have to point out that Chandler Jones has fallen off a cliff. He went from five to zero. So Miles is going to gain on him. I think Chandler Jones ends the season with five sacks. He doesn't Whoa. get that anymore. No, I don't even know. <laughs> don't tell him I said that. But I do think it points to the idea of like, listen, sometimes elite guys get a thing and they have a guy that can't block them. And all of a sudden right. you have a nutso game. Chandler Jones happened to have his in week one. Uh, maybe Andy Dalton will be the victim of one of those games for Miles Garrett. Sorry, Alice. I just wanted to take a shot at Chandler Jones, who seems like a fine human being. Chandler hey, I- Jones to get a sack against the Browns and point up to Stug. <laughs> I, I do wonder to what like what's the lowest rated or ranked defense to still have a player win defensive player of the year because you know if you think of Aaron Donald these Rams defenses have been in the top 10 I'm sure every year he's won it if not in the top five last year they were the number one defense in football so with the entire defense playing better would come miles better production and as right now this defense doesn't look anywhere close to a top 10 unit even if they do figure their stuff out all right doug what do you have so the way ellis is talking i feel like i might be taking the one that ellis was going to say but them's the breaks man i got the higher pick go for it but i just would like to say that my uh thing is my opinion on this is very on the surface so if anybody wants to jump in with better insight go ahead Are we sure Joe Woods is a good defensive coordinator? Now, listen, here's where I'm coming from on this. Ohio State 
and the Browns both have second year defensive coordinators this year that both it's like a weird pandemic year last year. It wasn't fair to judge them. The defense didn't play great, like whatever, but it was like, well, I mean, you almost in, in terms of evaluating the coordinator, it was like almost a lost year. So it was like, all right, here we go. Come in year two. Now we'll see what you've got. Ohio state has demoted their defensive coordinator already. <laughs> Things were so bad after week two, they were like, you don't call the plays anymore. I'm not saying that's what should happen with Joe Woods. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is Ohio State head coach Ryan Day, after two games this season, that was enough for him to make an evaluation of like, nope, not it, which is pretty quick, right? Considering Ohio State only played, whatever it was, eight games last year. So I, of course, you had to give Kerry Combs at Ohio State and Joe Woods with the Browns the benefit of the doubt coming into this season. Of course you did. But I don't know how long that keeps happening. It's longer than two weeks for sure. But I know all these guys are new. They've got a lot of talented dudes. Everything you're saying, Ellis, like they've got to play better. And is it four weeks? Is it six? Is it halfway through the year? I don't know. But there is going to reach a point where we need to see some results because it feels like they have enough talent And so I'm throwing it out there that if I was sort of like definite benefit of the doubt for Joe Woods, he's at least lost some of that two weeks in Ellis. I feel like you have opinions on this. Is that unfair of me, which you can tell me I can take it. Just tell me I'm unfair. I probably am. Am I unfair? I don't know. Maybe I am. Just go ahead. Tell me. I don't think you're being unfair. No, I don't think you are. I mean, you're for you. Your first question you presented was, is Joe Woods a good defensive coordinator? And I don't think we can say definitively that he is right now, uh, especially. I mean, if you look at his coaching history, he was the defensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos in 2017, 2018. The team won five and six games respectively that year. And then he had a renaissance in San Francisco for that one year when they had a fierce defense. He was the passing game coordinator there and DB coach. And that defense, as we now see with Robert Sala in uh, with the Jets, it wasn't as much scheme, uh, creativity, and exotically based more than it was in its talent and in its in its personnel. So they were going to rush four and play coverage behind it, uh, a lot of cover three, cover four zone, and that's what we're seeing now with the Browns. So getting your players, your horses to play like blue chip guys is a huge component of coaching. But if they're not doing that, then you'd hope your scheme at least would complement it or cover for when they're not. And that's what we haven't seen Joe Woods do yet, having his scheme make up for the inefficiencies of his star players when they're not playing up to standard. So I don't think you're being hard on him. It, we, it, it, this is going to take more time, but there's it's definitely one of the, the biggest things to watch. And, and he really he could be the thing that's keeping this defense back. We just don't have enough information yet. You know, one of the things that comes to my mind when you bring this up is in the first half of last season, you know, we may have wondered if um, if Kevin Stefanski was a really good offensive coach. Right. Because it took a long time for that offense to gel and to come together and for Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt to sort of figure out how to use the personnel best. And, uh, you know, what things Baker was really good at, how to play to their players strengths, what to throw out, what to keep in. And I think that that's kind of what's going on on the defense right now. Once again, I watched every minute of training camp as you guys did. And uh, I never saw the defense practice together. They just never practiced together. Uh, They were all very injured, lots of hamstrings. Uh, Then there are a bunch of new guys on this team playing very key roles. You've got Malik McDowell, new JOK. These these are guys that have never played football before. They're playing in their first NFL games. Uh, JOK, Grant Delpit. Greg Newsom. So you've got really super young guys. Now, one thing that I think was a factor this week, and that was, uh, and maybe I'm making too much of this, and you guys can tell me if you think I'm blowing it out of proportion, but when you lose your defensive signal caller on Friday of the practice week, and you don't have any time to regroup over that in practice, I do think that that can befuddle a defense a little bit, and maybe I'm overstating that, Um, but I think that might have been a little bit of a factor. Uh, but here's the thing, even though miles told us after the game that they came out, these Texans did and did some things that 
these Browns weren't ready for. I mean, you have to expect that in the beginning of the season. That's what you work on all off season is your new wrinkles and your new stuff. You're going to roll them out and nobody's going to have film and you've got a new coaching staff and we don't know what you're doing yet. So that's to be expected, but you have to make the halftime adjustments. The Kansas city chiefs, for instance, made halftime adjustments. And what they did was according to Chris Jones, they figured out when the Browns were going to pass out out of a play action look. Um, And that enabled Chris Jones to rush with gusto and authority. And it really changed the second half of the football game. So what we didn't see were the halftime adjustments. And I think that's where you grade a coach in a lot of cases is the halftime adjustments. How do you come back from, we didn't know that they were going to do that and now they're doing it and here's how we're going to react. So I think the jury is still out, but I still think that we can give them a little bit of a hall pass until we see the the children grow up a little bit and until we see all these new pieces come together over the next three or four weeks. Yeah, I'm fully on team. You know, let's give this a little time and see how it all comes together. One thing, though, that that I do kind of remember from last season is I don't know if we were questioning Stefanski and Van Pelt as much as we were Baker. And I don't know if that's just because – Baker is Baker and he's the quarterback and, you know, maybe we should have been looking in other ways before they kind of figured out that offense, but it does feel like more of the attention right now is on Joe Woods. And maybe that's just because there isn't that prominent, like there's no quarterback on the defense. There's no, like, this is the guy on the, obviously there's miles Denzel's there's great players, but there's no one guy to like single out. So maybe that's kind of the key difference there. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm still sort of team give this thing time. And while we're on this topic, because I don't know if this is going to come up in anybody else's what we're still sure about. And if if it is going to come up, then let's hold off until it does. But mildly concerned as we're talking defense and what whether or not Joe Woods is good enough. Like what happened to Denzel Ward in this game? Like, I, I you know, maybe, maybe it was the scheme. Maybe the scheme is not favoring. Maybe there's not enough of a rush to make those defensive backs uh, look any good because they did not grayed out well. I mean, the three lowest graded defensive players were John Johnson, the third lowest, Denzel Ward, second lowest at 18, Troy Hill at 17, third lowest. So the lack of adjusting to the quick passing game of the Texans, you know, I'm sure contributed to all of that, but anybody concerned at all about Denzel and the game that he had? So when it comes to Denzel, I, I think that there's two things going on. First, he's just not playing that good of football, but also, again, this, I think this comes back to Joe Woods not using and playing Denzel to his strengths. You got to give your defensive backs an opportunity to play the game and, and to get physical and compete against these wide receivers. And, and, and in all the off coverage, it's it's gotten to the point where teams are expecting it. So there's really only so much Denzel can do. You know, he's not getting beat deep behind him. You know, he wasn't the one back there when Tyreek Hill caught that 75 yard bomb right so it's a combination of Denzel not being on his A game and also Joe Woods I think just being too uh, predictable in in his past scheme because I mean a lot of that stuff he gave up he was playing off coverage he was quite a bit off and they just threw in front of him and it's like I on some level right if that's if that's the call what is he supposed to do yeah I just I just want to be clear. A lot of times when I ask football questions on this podcast, they are not rhetorical. I'm actually asking, what is he supposed to do? Because I don't know. But Ellis, you just have to do it like you guys, right? I mean, Mary Kay, if, if Joe Wood says playoff coverage, Denzel doesn't get to say, no, 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 no. I want to go stand on top of the receiver at the snap, right? Does he? Does he? I don't know. No, but you know what? I mean, and again, that's where I think the halftime adjustments come in. Yeah. I mean, Denzel got beat three times on the first drive alone. Um, so therefore then, you know, maybe you don't play off coverage quite as much in the second half and you make an adjustment. So, you know, I think it's all tied in together. And that is why I wanted to bring up Denzel because again, maybe it is not him. Maybe he's only doing what he's told and therefore uh, you know, they need to take a a look at at what's going on. Hey, Ellis, what do you have? All right. So bear with me a bit here, y'all. I wrote this out a little bit and it's going to start confusing, but I think we're going to sort it out as we go. It's uh, centered around the Browns offense. And one thing I'm not so sure about anymore is that this can be a a number one or even a top three scoring offense. I predicted the Browns were going to be a top five 
offense going in. I felt they could be top three or one, but I'm realizing a few specific things aren't going aren't going the Browns' way, which will not lead them to a top three scoring offense. So first, to be clear, it's still a very efficient offense, just not a top scoring one. Football Outsiders DVOA stat ranks the Browns' offense number one through two weeks. Uh, they're 40% more efficient than the league's average offense, which is the Pittsburgh Steelers, who rank 17th. Cleveland's 4% more efficient than the Kansas City Chiefs. The reason they aren't going to be a top three scoring offense is because their pace of play is too slow. The Browns average 57 plays per game. That's 26 in comparison to the league average about 64. The Ravens average about 68. I don't expect the Browns pace of play to really pick up. And, and Dan, we talked about that before the year started, like if Stefanski was going to mess with pace and they, he still could, but I think the, the bones of this offense is predicated around using the playcock to their advantage, relying on pre-snap motion and hard counts to decode the defense for Baker Mayfield. Uh, also another thing that's hindering this team, which was an issue last year is that they're lacking the, the, uh, the amount of explosive passing plays needed to be a, a top three or number one scoring offense. They're tied for 13th right now. Uh, they're third in, in most explosive runs, which makes sense behind Minnesota and Baltimore. The, the reason the Browns are number one in offensive DVOA, this is stunning, is because their rushing efficiency is 30 points better than the second best rushing team. And that's, that's really where this lies. It's a, it's a, it continues to be a run dominant team and one that isn't going to generate explosive passes until they figure out how to pair Odell with Anthony Schwartz, Anthony stepping up and being a more complete receiver than probably just the deep threat that defenses know he is now. And I'm not saying this Browns offense can't become a number one scoring offense at the back end of the year, but their body of work isn't going to hold up to be a number one or even a top scoring uh, top three scoring offense this year. So I, I was wrong about that. They'll be efficient, but they're not going to be um, a, a top scoring offense from start to finish. I bet, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the pace. I've, I'm actually a little disappointed they aren't playing a little faster. Yeah. And I'm not saying no huddle, like hurry up, stuff like that. I mean, this isn't college, but like I, I have been a little disappointed that there isn't a lot of, of pace stuff going on. You know, I've, I've I've seen a little bit of like, you know, they'll go up the line and JC Treader will kind of quick snap it on occasion, but like they're not doing a lot. And I don't know how updated, unfortunately football outsiders doesn't say when they last updated these stats, but the Browns are near the bottom of the league right now in the lower third um, in seconds per play on football outsiders, which tells you they're using a lot of the play clock and, you know, I mean, Baker's not Phillip Rivers. He, he doesn't stand there and wait till the last second to snap it to see what the defense is doing. I just, I'd like to see a little more pace. And, and maybe that happens when they get Odell and Jarvis on the field together and, and things like that. But that, that's been a, a disappointing thing to me in these first two weeks. I wonder if they had to adjust to those, some of those kinds of things when, I mean, let's just take it right back to the Kansas City game. And before the game, in pregame warmups, you discover that Odell Beckham Jr. is not going to play when they thought he was going to play. Okay. Odell Beckham Jr. can handle uh, a quick paced offense like that. Well, Anthony Schwartz had to take, as we know now, a fair amount of Odell Beckham Jr.'s duties and reps. So maybe they had to dial it back a little bit. Maybe they, they had to just kind of simplify things a little bit for the personnel that they had on the field. Donovan Peoples-Jones started the game. Uh, and I wrote this in my column today about the young kids having to step up because Donovan Peoples Jones caught two big touchdown passes last year that were so memorable uh, in Cincinnati. Actually, Mar Mary Kay, can you, can you save that? Oh yes. Yes. Sorry. Save that. Well, spoiler save alert. <laughs> I'll save that. I'll save that. Um, but let me just say that because of um, Odell not being in there and having to go younger maybe they had to dial back the change of pace a little. Cause I do envision some no huddle this year. We've been talking about this since training camp. I think it's time to put more on Baker Mayfield's plate. He, I think he's really ready for that. And I think they're going to do it. I just don't know if they felt ready to do it right away. I think turnovers have screwed them up. And I think there have been moments when they might've been like right on the edge of like, you know what? We are rolling here, baby. Let's go. And then right at that point, they 
turn it over. So they have three like perfect drives, right? To start the game in Kansas city. And then they come out in the second half and it's like, maybe they're at a, like you could put the pedal, to the metal, but let's get rolling first. And Chubb fumbles on like the third play of that drive. And all of a sudden it's like, what? And then the punter drops the ball. This game, uh, the last game, they start with the punt, right? But then they drop Houston drops the punt. They recover score a touchdown. And then the next two drives are a fumble and an interception. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know. I don't want to play fast now. Now we got to go back to locking it down. They've had 17 drives this year. Eight touchdowns, full drives. Eight touchdowns, one field goal, two fumbles, two, two picks, four punts. And I'm including the punt he dropped as a punt because it was going to be a punt. So I don't know. Like that's a – you have – it's like – if 17 drives four, four of those 17 end with a turnover, right? That's kind of a lot. They got to hold on to the ball. And then I think it, it you know, I, I, I don't know that they're going to start fast. They, I thought they did try to start fast against Houston. Cause a lot of people were like, on the, I didn't go. I stayed home. Cause my daughter had to is on visit in college. And my other daughter was here and I couldn't leave. So sorry. I wasn't there live. You guys, I know you missed me. We did. You didn't even notice I wasn't there. Just admit it. So anyway, here's the thing. It's like, I thought, that, but I like on the broadcast, they're like, they got to get back to the run. They got to get back to the run. And it was like, well, it felt like they got to get back to the run because they came out throwing it around a little bit, not deep shots necessarily, but they were throwing it. And then I feel like people thought, oh no, it didn't work. Well, it didn't work because Anthony Schwartz broke off his route and Donovan people Jones dropped the, like fumbled the ball. I think that might've worked and they might've started to go quick with some of that stuff. So I, I think it's possible that they've been, pulled back from confident up-tempo stuff, maybe right where they're going to get to it because they've had inopportune turnovers in both of the first two games. Yeah, and, and to that point, and just have uh, an inability to predict the unforeseen, of course, and Mary Kay touched on it, this is an offense, Me, I'll speak for myself specifically, that I envision Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry out there for 80% of the snaps through two games, right? And we get no Odell in week one, and Jarvis is off the field after the second play in week two. And to Mary Kay's point, then you plug in Anthony Schwartz, you plug in some more Demetri Felton. Tough to play fast and tempo and be uh, advanced level offense when you have third and sixth round rookies taking snaps that two pro bowlers should have. Okay. So mine, I kind of teased it a little bit, is about Donovan Peoples-Jones. And I guess, you know, look, we were all talking up Donovan Peoples-Jones in camp. He had a great camp, had a, had a really nice preseason. And now it's really slowed down, and it's not for lack of opportunity. He's played the most snaps of any receiver on this team. And he hasn't done a whole lot. I mean, Kevin Stefanski keeps pointing out that third down catch he had against Kansas City. Like, he's pointed it out two separate times already. And it mm -hmm. just makes, come on, you got to come up with something else too. When you <laughs> talk about the things people's Jones has done. So Mary Kay, you know, you were going to make a Donovan people's Jones point. I'm just, I'm starting to wonder is kind of what we saw last year from Donovan people's Jones, maybe who he is. Maybe he's not like this down to down, make a big impact, but you know, he'll make some catches here and there. I, I'm just not as confident in Donovan people's Jones. Doug is smiling. <laughs> Maybe I'm joining him on his island over there. I'm not as confident in DPJ as I was a month ago. I have been castigated on this podcast in the past for expressing <laughs> perhaps some reservations about DPJ. Well, once again, um, we've talked, we've kind of laughed about this a little bit. You know, I, I said in my column today that he was all Berea. He was all Berea in training camp. <laughs> I mean, he was the man, right? But uh, there's a whole bunch of difference between non-contact practices and the fur flying in a football game. And you've got to be able to do it on a consistent basis in a football game. And we all know that Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't get the ball a ton at Michigan. And last year, and this was the point that I was about to make earlier, is that last year, because he did make those two memorable touchdown catches to win the game in Cincinnati on a great play, 11 seconds left, 24-yard touchdown catch from Baker Mayfield. I mean, it was just so dramatic. And we just all have that in our minds. And then he catches a 75-yard touchdown in ten Tennessee in a 41-35 victory, which, of course, you know, proved to be, you know, points difference. Um, so we have those two plays in our mind. And we thought, wow, you know, this young man is really going to go gangbusters. 
But, you know, then you look up his targets. I mean, he had 20 targets last year, 20 targets, 14 catches, 20 targets, 304 yards, many of them on that one touchdown catch uh, and the two touchdowns. I still think that he has a chance to have a really, really nice season. And I think he's going to make an impact this year. Um, but, you know, he might not make the Pro Bowl. And I think that we built him into that during training camp. I think that, you know, out there watching camp, we, we kind of, you know, we may have oversold it just a tad. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 may be, he might be a splash role player this year. And that's not saying he, that's going to be his definitive role throughout his career. But, you know, he's a year two receiver who, like Mary Kay said, had 20 targets last year and showed up in big spots and then has a, a all Berea training camp. And, and then we crown him. So this this might be the product of a guy. And, and when I say we crown him, let's be clear, the Browns coaching staff clearly crowned him, too. He won the number three receiving spot, beat out Richard Higgins and as Dan said earlier, has the most snaps played on this team. So it's, it's, it's not like, you know, we saw something and then he's still been held back. They're giving him every chance. It just might be he's a splash role player and not a consistent every down guy like Richard Higgins has shown to be capable of in the past. I'm glad you mentioned his name. Richard Higgins feels like at, when everybody's healthy, especially with everybody feeling good about Anthony Schwartz, that he might be like the fifth receiver on this team. Mm -hmm. But when you start losing guys, Rashard Higgins, I think, is a guy who's like, I'm a number one. I'm good to go. Let's roll. And and Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz are not there yet. And I'm not saying they should be. But Rashard Higgins, I think, might be behind them in an ideal world. And then he's like, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, my team needs me. Baker called my name and goes right to the front. And you know what? The Browns should be like, Come on, Richard. Let's go. Because he wants that smoke. He wants it. So he might be ready to save this offense while Jarvis Landry is out. Because well, I don't think Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz, they are complimentary guys. When they're the third best receiver on the field, they can do something. When they're the first or second best receiver on the field, I don't think they're there yet. Now, the Browns need to find out this season what they can be down the line, because there's going to come a point when they need those two guys to be one and two receivers. I just never thought it would be this year. And all of a sudden we're going to find out quicker than normal, but I think Rashard's ready to answer the bell. Sorry, Mary Kay. Oh no, that's okay. I, I thought you were done. Uh, there's, there's a couple things uh, that I wanted to bring up about that. Uh, the thing to remember about Anthony Schwartz. Okay. Anthony Schwartz went out in rookie camp and he pulled a hamstring. And he missed the rest of spring ball. Okay. He did not participate in OTAs. He did not participate in minicamp. Then he got himself together. He healed up beautifully. He came out for training camp and he tweaked the hamstring again. And he missed most of the rest of training camp. I've watched a lot of training camp in my life. I once watched Braylon Edwards get his bare feet stepped on in training camp the year after he caught 16 touchdown passes the year before. And he missed most of camp the next year. And he wasn't the same that year. He just was not the same player. I think it had something to do with missing most of camp. Now, some guys can overcome missing most of training camp. But in my experience, a lot of guys struggle when they miss most of camp, especially a rookie early on in his career. So to expect, and it's not, and, and look, it's not Anthony Schwartz's fault that he had to take 31 snaps and 30 snaps in his first two games, which I believe are twice as many as he would have gotten had Odell Beckham Jr. played in those two games. He has had to assume a much larger role way before he was ready for it because of Odell playing. Now, having said that, had he not missed almost every single practice in training camp, I think he would have been a lot more ready. I think he would have been a ton more ready than he is now. So he's pressed into service with no camp under his belt and being a very raw, raw rookie. I think he's going to get better, uh, but these are the reasons why we're seeing some of the things that, that we're going to continue to probably see. But we knew that he, he already had missed the stuff and some, you know, we knew coming into the start of the season, he had had these issues that he missed practice time. And some people thought he was going to be great this year. I just, I, still, I just, I still think he is, but, and, and Richard, um, Richard, let's just remember one small thing about Richard. 
is that he has been hampered by, uh, by hamstring injury. Um, he struggled the last couple of weeks of camp. He was kind of on the sidelines with a hamstring. And I think he's probably better now, maybe even hundred percent, but I think there's a little bit of uh, a little hamstring residue. This is like the hamstring team, right? The Ravens are the ACL team. The Browns are the hamstring team for whatever reason. Um, but anyway, so I think that Richard maybe not being in there as much early on in these first two games was a function of that. I wish Scott Pasco was here to talk about Richard Higgins, man. This is it. This is why you have this guy. He's, he's, he's your number five receiver who can become your number two receiver. And so I think, I think he is going to bail them out for the next couple of weeks. Man, Doug, you're going to be excited to read Cleveland.com in the morning. Ellis Williams might have a, a piece or a take on, on that exact topic. Already, already in the oven. Because you know what? You know what? Rashard Higgins, Rashard Higgins will cut his hamstrings off his body if he has to, to get out on the field and play <laughs> when an opportunity is there. This is why this guy stays here. He stays here for less money than he thinks he's going to get. Everyone's talking about the young guys. And he's like, just wait. I just need one, th- one thing to get a little. And it's not that he's rooting for it. But I, I really do think, because I said after the game, and I, I just want to say that I am a little bit excited. I was kind of down. I was down on the young receivers right after the game on Sunday. And I feel like people didn't want to come along on that. So I would like to welcome everybody to questioning Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz, because they, they need, you have to throw the ball to your receivers. And they listen, there was a lot of great content that I saw different analytics people and whatever talking about, hey, Baker had this sort of unbelievable game on Sunday where he practically completed every pass and here are the people who ran the routes and it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe he had that game when these were the guys running the routes, but at some point, you know, they're going to have to get the receivers involved while, while Jarvis is out. They just can't be like, Oh, well, Jarvis is hurt. Let's throw 29 passes to the tight ends today. So you're still not buying my five touchdowns for Anthony Schwartz this year, huh? I am not. I am not. (laughs) And I am happy to be wrong. Happy to be wrong is the name of the website. If I ever start my own website, that's going to be happy to be wrong.com. But I just think, I think all of this is leading to something down the road, right? Harrison Bryant last year, I remember we had a thing. It was, he had a route like Schwartz ran on Sunday where Baker threw a pick and it was like, man, it looked like Harrison Bryant kind of stopped short on his route. And Baker got, everyone was like, ah, Baker threw a pick. And then like after the game, Harrison Bryant was like, yeah, that was me. Then he had to fumble against Jacksonville, right? And like Harrison Bryant has a lot of potential, but then it was like, ah, you know, let's not pretend that this guy is going to get the Browns over the top as a rookie, and it's going to take some time. I just think both these young guys, they are future investments, great future investments, all here for it. I don't think they're they are going to get the Browns over the top this year. Yeah, I think there, there's two things kind of with Schwartz that we have to remember. Like, there, there's a lot more to receiver than just being super fast, right? Like, you, you've got to – there's a lot that goes into it. And I think the other thing here, too – I love Demetric Felton. I love what he did on Sunday. And I think Browns fans should be super excited about this. Maybe use Donovan as a little bit of a cautionary tale here and not throw too much on Demetric Felton right now, just because he made a few really good plays. Let's continue to let him kind of come along slowly and see what he can give you because sixth round picks are sixth round picks for a reason, right? And Andrew Barry did a great job finding people's Jones. It looks like he did a great job finding Felton and maybe Felton develops into a guy that should have gone in the first or second round eventually, but you know, it's okay to to pump the brakes a little bit on expectations for, for some of these guys, especially if they were day three picks. One more super quick thing on these young guys. They're also drawing the better defenders now, right? Uh, The guys that, that Odell Beckham Jr. And Jarvis Landry normally have covering them are covering a guy like Anthony Schwartz, like Justin Reed versus Anthony Schwartz. I mean, that like, you know, that that's, that's a tough, uh, that's a tough call. Let's be positive now. Let's say <laughs> let's say good things about the Browns. Mary Kay, give us something you're still absolutely convinced about with this football team. You know, I still think Baker Mayfield is going to be a top 10 quarterback. I still think he's going to end up with a really nice quarterback rating. I still think he's going to throw uh, a bunch of touchdown passes. I think I still think for the most part, he's going to keep his interceptions down. Although, um, you know, if once again, if you keep throwing to the rookies who are going to make mistakes, you, you, you know, they might be up a little more than you want them to. Um, but I still think he's going to come out uh, looking really good in this. He he does have some really nice stats going right now. His completion percentage, uh, you know, is number one in the NFL. His rating is higher than it's ever been at this point. 
um, or at all. Yeah. So I, I still think that it's all right out in front of him for Baker Mayfield, especially when Odell gets back, Jarvis gets back, they're going to be humming along and he's going to be flying. Yeah, this is, um, you know, we, this might be a, a shorter segment, what we still believe in, because this is a, about what I had down. But mine, more specifically, was focusing on Baker's completion percentage. He's only thrown nine incompletions this year. Uh, I think he's 40 for 49. It's like 81%. And, of course, that's not going to stick. But a big point of Baker's maturation process this year was going to be – at least for me, hitting that 4,000-yard passing mark, which we'll still see about, but more importantly, completing more than 70% of his passes. And he's just been on the money, uh, both you know, on throws that you'd expect Baker Mayfield to be accurate on, but I'm more impressed with his timing, his quick game. He has no hesitation. He is trusting what he sees. He's letting it rip. And that's a result of being in year two of this offense, like we suspected. So all the top 10 stuff, uh, I, I agree with it. Though his numbers should trend that way. But the most important stat to me was going to be that completion percentage. And there has been more of a dink and dunk component to the offense, especially in week two, for several reasons, which we've sort of already unpacked, including Baker dislocating his shoulder. But that is going to improve <laughs> as – this, the year goes on as they, they reestablish and just find their identity in the intermediate passing game, which then will bring his completion percentage more towards the seventies. And if he can finish like at 72 or 73, then, then my goodness, he's really mastered this to fancy offense. And it seems headed that way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's been really good these first two weeks. There's uh, it's the numbers and back it up the way he's played is the eyeball test, all of that. I'm curious to see how this shoulder sort of affects him over the next couple of weeks. If we do see more of what the Browns did uh, against Houston after he came back, or if he's able to kind of go back to just cutting it loose again, uh, because I don't know if the bears pass rush is good or not. I mean, they kind of harassed the Bengals, they harassed Joe Burrow, but like that's the Bengals. So I don't know how protective the Browns are going to be of Baker on Sunday. So that, you know, that might kind of hurt his quest for 4,000 yards. Um, but he was certainly on pace for that after the Chiefs game. And, uh, you know, there, there's no reason to not feel confident about Baker after what we've seen in these first two games. Agree. <laughs> and therefore, you know, that keeps them on track with, you know, thinking about as, as they move forward here, you know, six, seven games in, talk about paying the man. Uh, being the man and all those kinds of things. I, I think that, you know, I still believe it. I still think he's on track for, for all of that. And I, and I think his commercials are hilarious. I think that progr- these progressive commercials this season, by the way, are so darn funny. Like the, the neighbor one where they're gossiping over the, <laughs> over the uh, watering the lawn. So it, on top of everything else, he can act. How about Jedrick Wills being a sneaky good actor, by the way? Yeah. Exactly. Doug, what do you have? So we can be obvious in this segment, right? That's okay. So you don't want to take it for granted. I just don't want to imagine this Browns offense without an awesome offensive line. And it is still an awesome offensive line. Um, Joel Batonio, third highest graded guard so far this year by PFF. Jack Conklin, fourth highest graded tackle by PFF. JC Treader, fifth highest graded Center by PFF, Jed Wills dealing with some injury, and then Wyatt Teller continuing on the path of as good of a run blocker at guard as you will find in the league. Ah, still a little iffy as a pass blocker. I mean, I, I mean that's right. I mean, am I wrong there? But like, you can't like when it's just like as much as it's Chubb and Hunt, and it is, but it's just like, oh, what should they do? Is like, I don't know. How about just run for eleven yards a run? It's like cool, and they can. <laughs> Because of those five guys. And it is it is a luxury to have them all back together. And yes, Jedrick is dealing with an injury, but the other four guys started every snap on Sunday. Like it is the kind of thing that there are teams around the league absolutely desperate to get three guys like this. And they have five of them. And it's not going to be here forever. And they are going to have to find ways to replace these guys but they make this offense go. And here we are talking about, you know, Baker 
Hertz's non-throwing shoulder last week. Now Jarvis is out and they haven't had Odell and they just have this thing they can lean on. And as much as we talk about identity and who are you as a team, Chubb and Hunt are awesome. But it, the identity of this entire team really starts with those five guys and they are doing it once again. Doug, can I hijack your your point here and turn this into a JC Treader appreciation conversation? Do your thing. I, I rewatched that game actually this morning and there were like three or four moments where I saw number 64 do something and I'm like, oh, look at JC. At one, one, at one point, he just kind of threw Nick Chubb forward and got the Browns like five that. more yards. <laughs> I saw that. But, you know, obviously, I, you know, everybody appreciates Joel and rightfully so. Wyatt Teller gets the social media love because he's like the most gift-worthy offensive lineman in football right now. We've, we've talked about Conklin here maybe being a little underappreciated, uh, but, you know, he's, he's been solid. JC kind of just shows up, plays every snap, and fits perfectly in this scheme. And I, I think sometimes he gets taken for granted a little bit. And maybe it's because, you know, he's the NFLPA president. Maybe that overshadows some of the on-field stuff that gets a little more of the attention. But uh, JC is really good. And, I, I, you know, I've, I think I said this on our big preseason roundtable, like move on from JC at your own risk, because having a guy like that in the middle of your offensive line is really, really valuable. Yeah, we've talked about this too, that it is the most underrated position, right? When we did underrated positions, center. I mean, you don't realize how important they are until you don't have one. Uh, That's why the Browns once drafted, you know, one in the first round. Uh, It's a really, really important position. And I I wrote this somewhere. I can't remember where, where I wrote it, but I did run into Mike McCarthy in the airport the year the Browns signed uh, J.C. Treader as a free agent coming home from the combine or something. And uh, he said, you guys, not, not me, the Browns (laughs) (laughs) just signed a pro bowl center. If he, he said, if he can stay healthy, you're looking at a pro bowl center. And he wasn't healthy in green Bay, but he's been a warrior here and they keep him healthy. They definitely um, don't let him practice much during the week. And that's really super smart. But you're right, Dan. He, he's, he's definitely an underrated player at the most underrated position. Yeah, it, it continues to be the best offensive line in football. And, you know, taking J.C. for granted or really this whole unit, <clears throat> I don't know if that's necessarily anything we do here. But just when we talk about the, the game aesthetically, it's, it's hard to credit these offensive linemen enough until you, like you said, Dan, real, understand what it doesn't look like when they're not out there. And to me, this is the biggest reason – or deterrent from paying Baker Mayfield because of the luxury that he has up front. And then you go look at Baker's pressure numbers and they're still atrocious, quite frankly, like most quarterbacks are. But when you look at guys like Kyler Murray or Justin Herbert, who still have great numbers under pressure, guys, you can't blitz. You you get to the problem solving conversation that I always land on when it comes to quarterback. But while this O-line is intact, Baker Mayfield is the perfect quarterback behind it. it. It's just the, the end all be all when it comes to how this offense functions. It's the reason they're able to lean on and push teams in the fourth quarter. And you see Nick Chubb carry this team in the fourth. And the fact he's able to finish with only 11 carries, but 95 yards, this is such a product of the offense. I I talked to Brad Childress to your point about coaches talking about the offense line, Mary Kay, about what the Browns have built here. And he of course spent time with Kevin Stefanski in Minnesota. And he said, whether it was Adrian Peterson for the Vikings or Nick Chubb and Cremont here at the Browns, those running backs don't do jack without the offensive line. And, and they, you just can't praise them enough. And, and the Browns are smart for having the group they have and better work desperately to keep them together for as long as they can. All right. An offensive line talking point. I love it. Ellis, you mentioned that Mary Kay kind of led you into yours. Do you have another one or did you want to go deeper the- on that? That's all I had. I can add a little bit more to this this Baker conversation. Um, on top of his completion percentage, which is going to has everything to do with decision making, I'm also intrigued to see how he continues using his feet. Last week, when he did not have receivers he could trust, he did not target. Donovan Peoples Jones after his fumble. He did not target Anthony Schwartz again after the interception that he caused. Baker took it upon himself to make some plays. He had a career high eight rushing attempts for only 10 yards, but 
two of his scrambles, the, the five yard touchdown run, and he converted a third and two, I believe, in the fourth. And the following play was Nick Chubb's 26 yard touchdown run. Those are huge plays. It was reminiscent of the Monday night football game versus the Ravens when he just was quick and deliberate about when he was going to take off. And to me, that continues to complete the Baker Mayfield narrative of being the best version of himself because when he doesn't stack up traits wise, his mind needs to move faster. And this continues to be a example of how Baker Mayfield is grasping this offense and doing and playing ahead of opposing defenses. We'll see how the adjustments are made as we go forward. Mary Kay talked about how Chris Jones was able to figure out their play action passing game. And to me, that says more about Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt than Baker, but Baker as again, his decision-making continues to impress. And I'm just as impressed with his feet as I am with his quick release, despite a career high eight carries for 10 yards. Did I give you an up there, Dan? That was good. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'll, I'll give you guys mine. This is uh, something that I still have not wavered on. Uh, not after the Browns lost to the Chiefs, not after the Ravens beat the Chiefs. I still believe the Cleveland Browns are going to win the AFC North. Nothing has uh, made me waver from that prediction. Again, the, yes, the Ravens beat the Chiefs. Clyde Edwards, Alaire doesn't fumble. How, I, how are we talking about the Ravens today? That one play kind of changes that, that narrative a little bit. I still believe the Browns win this division. Mary Cam with you. I think a lot of it gets decided in those two games in three weeks. And then here's the other thing. Very sneakily, the Ravens have to play the Rams on January 2nd. The Browns, both teams still have the Packers after those, those two games. But the Browns is a lot easier in that home stretch than the Ravens just because they have to play the Rams and the Browns don't. Uh, so I think the Browns are still going to win this division. And I haven't seen anything to deter me from that. It comes down to the Browns and the Ravens. And I think the Browns will be able to, uh, to finish ahead. You know, Dan, one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why I do mostly agree with you right now on this. And I've talked about this so many other times, and that is the strength of schedule. The Ravens and the Steelers have a brutal strength of schedule and the Browns have that third place strength of schedule. And that has, and will help them. Uh, That will help them a lot because The reason why I say that is because I feel a little bit differently about the Ravens than I did uh, heading into the season, watching them in that game against the, uh, against the Raiders the other night, talk about playing fast. I mean, they're fast. Okay. They're playing really, really fast. Um, And they're a lot tougher defensively than I thought they were going to be when Marcus Peters left the lineup. I just feel like Marlon Humphreys and Marcus Peters just match up so well against Jarvis and Odell. And when you, when you take Marcus Peters out of the equation and all pro cornerback, I just think that is so painful to a football team that just hurts so much. Um, so, you know, they also had to overcome Teron Matthew with, with the Kansas city chiefs and the, the Browns did not have to do that. So even though it seems like the Browns played the chiefs, you know, really well, and they did for a half, Different ball game. I'm sorry. Different ball game if their best defensive player is out on the field. Uh, so those two kind of things evened a little bit my expectations for both. I think it's going to be a little closer than I thought it was going to be. I still think the Browns will probably pull it out, but I think it's going to be closer than I thought it was going to be based on what I've seen so far and based on what I saw in that Raiders game. I think their defense, they just somehow find a way to keep bringing really good defensive players onto the team, and they're so well coached. And I, I, Lamar looked like a good passer to me. I mean, he, he looked good. Uh, so I, I think they have a better chance of winning the division than I thought they did, but I still think the Browns will probably win it. Yeah. I'm as of right now out on all AFC North predictions, aside from the Bengals probably finishing fourth. And that's a backpedal from how I felt when the year started. I thought the Browns were, were clear favorites, especially with the camp the Ravens were having injury-wise, as Mary Kay alluded to. But I've been really impressed with the AFC North. And a lot of this, this might be a backdoor pilot for a Las Vegas Raiders endorsement. Because, <laughs> you know, that Monday night football game in week one, uh, Oakland looked look great in one in thrilling fashion. And then uh, Pittsburgh and 
the Raiders played last week and it was a, a, a nice game that the Raiders able to pull out towards the end. There was some impressive offense. So by being impressed with the Raiders, I'm also impressed with the Ravens and Steelers, if that makes sense. But what I'm trying to say is that this is going to be a feistier division than I first thought. It, it probably should have always been this way, knowing the AFC North. Uh, but Lamar Jackson continues to be a problem you can't prepare for. But the Steelers defense is going to continue to be what it's been. You'd think Matt Canada and Ben Roethlisberger only get better as the year goes on. Like if we're going to, if we're going to give the Browns that benefit a year ago, I think you give the Steelers that same benefit of the doubt as the year goes on. Ben dealing with the new offensive coordinator. Najee Harris looks as a promising young running back and worthy of where they picked him. It, it's going to get tight. This really could be a, a one game type of division race when I really pegged the Steelers for a 500 team, eight and seven team, whatever we're doing now. Um, and that seems to, I, I'm, I guess I'm higher, higher on the Steelers and, and back to believing in the Ravens prior to all their injuries. I did think one of the, what stood out to me in the Ravens chiefs game and, and it was so important for them to hold on is that uh, the Ravens punter didn't drop any snaps. So I thought that was huge. That, that's important to, to yeah. Honda. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that, I mean, I, you know, so you do that, you have a good chance to win. I'm going to do that all year, by the way. I'm going to do that all year. And I know he didn't do it on purpose, but it's horrible. So I'm just kidding. I'm going to do it all year. I apologize. I know it like everyone likes him because he's Scottish. Hey, on the first on the first uh, series of the game, Lamar threw a pick six to Tyron Matthew. You know, at, at times <laughs> there comes a time you have to overcome your adversity in a football game, too. So, Ellis, uh, after watching that game against the Chiefs. Did you think the Ravens have a better chance to win the division than you thought they did? Or did you always, you, did, did you ever wonder, I mean, did you always think the Browns were going to win the division and now you wonder a little bit more about it or what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I'm way higher on the Ravens. I, I'm, I'm back to off season Ellis Lamar's a top five quarterback, which I never wavered on, but I was worried about their option, their receiving options. The, the, the Marcus Peters ACL injuries, devastating, um, They've got a young kid out there who played pretty well. His name's blanking on me uh, against Tyreek, but they seem to just find replacement DBs. And then OA, their rookie defensive end, they seem to just find ways to, to rush the passer. So it, it's just Ravens playing Ravens football, uh, young guys stepping up, being well coached, and Lamar continuing to make plays out of nothing and continues to be the quarterback he can't prepare for. And until I see, I mean, we've, we started this pod talking about the issues the Browns defense has they're lucky they don't play Baltimore until much later because this would Baltimore would confuse the heck out of them pre-snap. And I think Lamar would, would gash them. So this Ravens team, it to me seems neck and neck with the Browns right now. And then I'm much higher on the Steelers uh, than I was earlier as well. It's just, it, it's back to being the AFC North than I, that I always thought it was probably overthought at this offseason through training camp. Although I did see today that, that Ben, uh, you know, whenever you talk about a, a pectoral injury, Mm-hmm. Even though it's left, um, it's something to keep an eye on because if, if he's got a torn peck or a partially torn peck, uh, that that could change the, the Steelers season in a hurry. Yeah. And he could it, wear down very possibly. I, I, I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. The Steelers are bad just... guys. The Steelers are bad. Ben can't just throw the ball. Don't... Yeah. I, I just mean, don't tell Mike Tomlin. I know you won't. Yeah. This, this team has been bad since the second half of last year. They can't run the it's, ball. They have the worst run. They have the lowest rushing yards total in the NFL right now and are tied for third worst yards per carry. So they can't run the ball. They've given up a ton of yards. Now, their defense, I still think their defense is good. They've given up a ton of yards. But the only way they win is if they're the 2015 Broncos. That's basically who they are. Sure. Right. But uh, and as we had talked about before with the Browns, because they didn't build their offensive line. How do you not work harder? I mean, that's all they needed to really, really do in the offseason was just buy offensive linemen, trade for offensive linemen, and do whatever they possibly could to build that offensive line. That's what you have to do. And just don't do that enough. They just don't I, figure it out. I, I do want to put that in perspective. Bad Steelers isn't like 4-13. and 13. I mean, they're going to be good enough to get to that eight-win range, nine-win range. And then, look, maybe if they do steal one, that's when you start to say, oh, you know what? The Steelers are still hanging around. 
but I just, I, I don't know how they score points. They've scored three offensive touchdowns this season. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Mason Rudolph comes in and like, maybe <laughs> you never know. I mean, if, if Ben has a pectoral issue, that's serious enough, it's going to be Mason Rudolph at least for a while. We'll see. All right. There we go. Our uh, things we didn't feel so good about and things we still feel good about. And by the way, I'm with you and Mary Kay and Ellis. I'm with you guys on the Ravens. That's still a really good football team. Very fair. That was a, that was an impressive win. I don't want to diminish that win. Um, that, that was an impressive win by them on Sunday night. Uh, my bigger point was it didn't change my opinion on, on how the division plays out after 17 games. So uh, that'll do it for our Wednesday roundtable here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're a football insider subscriber, the blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash browns, and make sure you're subscribed to this pod wherever you listen to your podcast. So for Mary Kay, Doug, and Ellis, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.